So it gives me huge pleasure to welcome two very talented people who are both actors, directors and writers. Please give a very warm welcome to Craig Roberts and Alice Lowe. Thank you so much for turning up. I was so anxious that nobody would. It's like when you have to play that game where you're like, who would turn up to your funeral? <laughs> it's these people. Yeah, you're They're all, all coming. Nice. How are you all doing? Cool. Are you hungry? It's sort of lunchtime, isn't it? This lady's going, yeah, I am. Hurry up with it. Um, what we were going to talk about, both of us are quite kind of weird, aren't we? Yeah, we were going to talk about Brexit, if you don't mind. <laughs> Just because nobody's talked about it enough. Yeah, that's what makes us weird is because we want to talk about it. Yeah, exactly. Um, what makes us weird is that we're both actors that have become directors. Yeah, like we're trying to run from something. <laughs> um, yeah, so we could probably talk about how you tr your transition, how you transition. The transition. Uh, I started off acting and I was doing kind of devised theatre and I guess that was like writing. I realised that I was creating characters and writing. And was that like Garth, Garth Marenghi? So was that Yeah, that, that was that was kind of, so I did a show called Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, which was a um, comedy show with Richard Ayoade and Matt Holness. Uh, this is like a long time ago, like 20 years ago. It's awesome. If you haven't seen it, you should definitely see it. It's really cool. Yeah, check it out. You can even see it on YouTube. <laughs> That's how old it is. Just look at clips of it on YouTube. But um, that was a stage show. And we did it as at Edinburgh Festival and stuff. But I was kind of doing theatre stuff with Paul King, yeah. who directed Paddington. And he had like a theatre company and I was like one of his actors in that theatre company. And But it was devised stuff. And I, I sort of gradually realised that I was writing. Improvising, that I was creating yeah, yeah. characters by improvising. And so I started writing. And it took me a long time to call myself a writer. You actual paid gigs later I was like I think I'm a writer am I allowed <laughs> to call myself that and then that sort of became directing and actually directing felt like I'd come full circle and it was a much more natural fit for me I sort of was like why didn't I do this right at the start in a way were Actually, you writing a lot though like uh because obviously so before sightseers were you writing a hell of a lot like had you written many features before that not really I mean in some ways I don't enjoy writing as a process that much it's a means to an end you know I just I just want to make stuff I'm, I'm a very visual person and I have the ideas in my head and I know what I want to see and what I want to hear yeah and then I've got to write it down on a bit of paper yeah you know? and that's sort of well, David ball. Lynch says, yeah, David, <laughs> I think David Lynch says something similar that he hates the writing process. He just he uses it as a, a kind of just a tool to remember ideas. Yeah, which is what it should be, really. But yeah. unfortunately, you've got to sell it to someone. Uh, yeah, it's got to be good. And it's got to be readable and understandable and people have to like it and want to buy it. And that, it's a sales document, really, isn't it? Yeah. How about you? Do you enjoy the writing process? Um. Yeah, yeah, I do like it because I get to spend a lot of time alone, which is nice. Because <laughs> um, I find the filmmaking process such a, you know, I like people, but you know, it can get a lot when there's so many people collaborating and it's a beautiful thing. But when you're on your own and at the first stage of it, you have the best idea in the world because nobody, you've not told it to anybody yet. So it could be the best. And then when you tell somebody, it's not. <laughs> so it's always a realization of, you know, you have, you have to, I always feel like when you show it to somebody for the first time, you immediately have to change it. It's just a, then a process of like getting it to where they want it, really. It's funny, sometimes I find myself doing that, that I've written an idea and then the first time I tell someone about it, I immediately edit the story to make it more exciting. Yeah. And actually it sometimes helps. I'm like, so it's about this woman and she, um, she's a spy. She's a spy. I'm like, she wasn't a spy. <laughs> I've added that in to keep their interest. And then, and then you realise like... Oh, I didn't actually put anything interesting in it enough, and and now I have. I've added something in. So. That's quite a clever way. I I found I found myself doing that though. And if there are any any like writers, like if you if you're at a party, which I'm never at, but if you're at a party, um, or just a gathering of people of sorts, if you tell the story as an anecdote, that's usually a good way to test whether or not it's good. Mm, yeah. And whether or not you need to change it. Yeah. If someone's immediately bored, yeah. you know there's something probably wrong if yeah, you can't stop. explain it called the elevator pitch isn't it I yeah it's similar similar idea my so my yeah my transition my, I, I so I started as an actor I was I started acting pretty young um uh my parents kind of 
got me into it, not in like a, a pushy way, just they, I think they wanted, they, they were worried I was probably becoming a serial killer in my bedroom, <laughs> playing Xbox all the time. So I, I, I did like a stagecoach thing and then I did a bunch of kids TV and then I got my first kind of break by doing a film called Submarine and then I, I did some other acting after that. Um, and then it's weird, the, the, the moment that it changed me is when I, you, when you do something, they you, you have to do like junkets or do like interviews and stuff, and you you get asked like who you uh, who do you look up to? And I wasn't really saying actors. I kept saying like Martin Scorsese or Paul Thomas Anderson and stuff like that. So then I just found myself exploring it and and, and writing. And the first thing I made was was that uh, which was part of a scheme uh, or cinematic, which is kind of like the eye features thing that they do in, in in London, where they give you a couple of hundred thousand to, to make a movie and go away. Um, so that was the first thing I did and. And then it kind of spiraled into a, into an obsession. Really, it's kind of like, for want of a weird analogy, like you know, Venom, um, the Marvel movie. It's like I always find this is what it feels like getting obsessed with filmmaking. It's like, you, like I'm Eddie Brock. Not that I look like Tom Hardy in any way, <laughs> um, but I'm Eddie Brock. And then like you get an idea, which is essentially the MB, whatever you call it, uh, or whatever Venom is, and it latches onto you, and you get really sick and obsessed with it, and. And it essentially will, you become this host that the idea just has to go through. And that's what I feel it's like. Um, <laughs> Do you feel it's something you should have always been doing, directing? Do you, um, you feel like you, you had this realisation that it was directors that you're interested in? Yeah, I don't know why. I, I, can't, I can't tell you why. Probably just because I like a lot of writer-directors that have create, you know, created the world from start to finish. Yeah. I find it amazing when you can... Uh, like you've done, write something and give it to somebody else to do, and or or direct somebody else's thing. That's that's a real skill. Mm. Um, but yeah, when you, I I think when you when you create the idea, or you're the person that, with the idea at the beginning, it's just like playing The Sims, really. You know that old <laughs> game? You, you create the world, and then you just carry on playing it. Awesome. <laughs> but you watch a hell of a lot of stuff. That uh, it always strikes me that like because we got the train together from London, and so we've you had just a conversation. Watched, really. Yeah, we've we've primed. You know, this is all very very prepared. <laughs> it's not we just gossiped on the train but you know um but you've seen everything that's what I, I was just like oh my god how do you do you all just the, watch stuff all the time yeah because I'm not at parties yeah no yeah um, <laughs> uh I try to watch a lot yeah but you sorry I mean yeah I try to watch as much as possible especially stuff that are coming out um just to make sure you're not copying anything really or not being yeah, too close I've, to I'm anything. in two minds about that you see because part of me goes um oh my god something's come out that's similar to something I'm writing I'm panicking you know what am I going to yeah. do? And then I, I think if I watch it, then I will either make the idea more like it, or I will right. be. It'll just put the fear of God into me yeah. when actually that project is never. My project's never going to be the same as that thing because it's going to be my thing. You True. Know? Um, also, I heard. Yeah, I also I heard one thing. I think it was David Lynch again, but he said if it's new to you, then it's new. Yeah. Which I think is totally right for anything yeah. you're doing. It's a useful expression, actually. It's true. I mean, I on the other hand, I you know if I'm writing something I do try and research like I'll sort of I don't know say if I'm writing a script about birds I'll read you know novels about birds or whatever but I, yeah. I or films about birds but I, I sort of try and consciously actually find stuff that I think other people are not watching okay like because I don't really like stuff when it's newly released because I feel like well if we're all watching this then our heads are all in the same space of what Marvel what is <laughs> we're all just gonna write Marvel films I don't know. I wish I, we could, yeah, make a hell of a lot more money. Um, would so, you do a Marvel film? Um, uh, acting one or, or like direct one? Or Either. Would you direct one? Do all the roles, yeah. <laughs> um, do an Eddie Murphy in Spider-Man. Um, no, I, yeah, I don't know, probably. Yeah, pro I mean, yeah, I wouldn't say no to it, but I mean, it just, I feel like they're, they're such a big beast to do those things. Mm. I don't know how much control you get for those, you know, for those movies. Um no, I think you probably don't. I think um, I think it's a machine that's already been sort of set up. The departments are so huge. Yeah. You know, just for special effects, it's yeah. like how many people, um, and they're all doing their own thing, and you're just I've, I've, probably feel quite small within that. Yeah, which is never good. Uh, mm. In terms of ideas, so in, if you're going to ca catch an idea, let, let's say, how does it come, and we're, we're, do they come a lot to you in terms of? <laughs> Uh, writing scripts um I yeah they do I have a lot of ideas but it sort of comes in waves because I think like you're saying like an obsession I'll have something that I'm obsessed about and it is like being a teenager like having a, an obsession with a band or something yeah. I'll 
I'll sort of go, I've got this story idea and I start building it and I start reading books about it or film, watching films about it and start ripping things out of magazines and doing a Pinterest board and listening to music that I'm like, you know, I'll be in a cafe and I'll be like, what's this track? I need it for my film, yeah. you know, like this is perfect. Like, and, and I build a playlist for the, I build a playlist for each different project that I do because it'll have a specific vibe in my head. And then I think there comes a point where you then make the film and then you actually just go, I'm so sick of this. <laughs> oh, I want out, you know, you, you, and you want a palate cleanser almost. Like, yeah. And then that can be the new project that suddenly you go, oh, I've had a new idea. And sometimes I never force an idea, actually. It has to be there. But I mean, I've spent such a long time not making films that I have accrued a lot of ideas that I would like to make. So I do have like... 10 different things at any one time that I could have a meeting with a production company and I go I've got this I've got this I've got this and oh, yeah. some of them are things that I've been building research on for seven years or something and I've just not been able to make it you know is there a script that levitates a little bit more than the other ones if somebody was to say here's a few million do you want to make it <laughs> I'd make any of them <laughs> any of them that someone let me make I, I guess there might be a point where there's an idea you're not sure about and someone goes okay let's make it and you might go whoa there it's actually crap Let's not do this one. Let's do a different one. Yeah, do you, yeah, do you yeah. ever have that? You kind of all of them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, no, I like. I luckily don't get too many ideas, which doesn't sound like great, great for a writer, really, does it? Um, but I, I find just yeah, usually it's one or two, and luckily it's when I'm finishing one, like you said, another one will, you know, I'll get Start, that. Uh, gestating or something. Yeah. Are there any screenwriters here? Anybody that write at all? How often? How often do you daydream? A lot, awesome. I think that's the. I honestly think that that's the best thing for for catching ideas or, or or any kind of writing. I find I daydream less now because I have a bloody iPhone, mm. um, and and everything else that we have is absolutely terrible. But that that for me is. I would agree one hundred percent actually because um, when I used to have insomnia, that was when I would have all my ideas and I'd almost write a whole film in my head, yeah. like, or scenes. And actually, it's a very good way, um, or for me to have stuff in pictures rather than blank screen and words, which is not what a film is about. It's not about this two dimension, it's about three dimensions. So yeah, when I used to be insomniac and when I, when I was a kid and there was no internet and stuff, yeah. I used to write episodes of Neighbours in my head. <laughs> it's really embarrassing, isn't it? I'm like, yeah, and then Harold says, then Harold Bishop <laughs> No, Madge, no. And that, seriously, that was what, and sometimes I think that is how I kind of learned to write is by imagining conversations in my head. And also conversations that you wish you'd had with someone that you had an argument with. <laughs> like, I should have said this. That would have been a brilliant line. That would yes. have cut them to the quick. Um, but yeah, I totally agree. And, and now I've got a three-year-old, I would say that I have less, less time to kind of just lie awake. I'm usually asleep. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm lying on my back, I'm asleep. It's so. bit, it's, yeah. <laughs> It's because there's so much information to take in these days that I find like, you know, especially with what's going on with the world, it's such a, you know, crazy place. But I, it is, it is, if you can find time anyone, really, I mean, I suppose some people meditate, which is a form of daydreaming, but mm. especially if you're writing, if you can just find time to, even if you're looking at a window, um, just to daydream as much as possible, because it is the best. Well, music really helps with that as well. For me, it helps me to leap. Uh, it's a shortcut into a different mindset. Yeah. Um, that I can be sitting in a cafe and I might, it helps, especially if I'm on a project and I'm like, how do I get back into this project? I've been working on something else, but I've got to work on this. What's that song? There's that song yeah. that this will get me back in. That can be dangerous. To kind of just zone out. Yeah, zone out a bit. I know, I, because I have a playlist, I have a playlist for them, but it, it can really mess me up sometimes because the, the tone of the thing will change. I could, mm. I could be listening to some Gilbert O'Sullivan and then Eminem will come on and everybody's killing each other in the script. <laughs> like it's, 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 yeah, it's totally wrong. It's so... An advert comes on for Holgate yeah. and suddenly everyone's cleaning their teeth. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I know what you mean, but sometimes that throws up really happy accidents. That I'm like, well, Eminem came on and now the scenes become a lot more exciting because <laughs> I, I wasn't, there was not enough tension in it or something or... I was going to with the flow instead of throwing something in there that was a bit of a hand grenade that made it go in a different direction. Yeah, and form in terms of uh, like formula, so we we were talking briefly earlier about uh, screenwriting books and stuff like that, and um, you were saying that you do look at them, you know, whenever every now and again. I, I do as well because 
you know, the structure and stuff like that? Do you believe there has to be a formula? Um, I, I'm sort of the school of like, you know, you have to start out thinking, right, learn the formula before you start writing. I think it's like, think of the story, think of the characters, write something. And it probably, if it's a good story, will follow that formula. Yeah. If it's not a good story, then you might want to look at the formula to see what's going wrong. Yeah, if you see yeah, what yeah. I mean. And that's how I use it is I usually, if I've reached a bit of a trough or a bit of a notch in the, in the, in the writing process, where I'm like, this isn't working. I don't know why this bit isn't working. And da, da, da. I might go to one of the screenwriting books and just, it's like a, a mechanic checking the manual or something of yeah. a, you know, the engine or something. I'm just like, oh, I think that, I'll, I'll try that. I'll try that, you know, and sometimes it does help. So I certainly, we were talking about getting the book Save the Cat, which Paul King gave me when I was writing a film called Sightseers. Anybody read that? Anyone read Save the Cat? It's, uh, it's worth looking at. It's a Hollywood uh, writer, screenwriter, wrote this best-selling book, and it's basically the idea... Kill the cat. <laughs> yeah, well, some people do. I think in Prevenge, I kind of went, I'm going to kill the cat. Yeah. Um, just to screw, screw it over, but it's quite useful to know that's what he's doing. But the idea is you've got a hero, and maybe he's really grumpy, really bad tempered, like Bruce Willis. And then there's a big fire in a house, and there's a cat, and he saves the cat. You go, he's a good guy after all. Yeah. And then you've got the audience. In theory, the audience now like Bruce Willis. And they're going to follow him on his journey and they're going to enjoy the film. So it's lots of that, those kind of formulaic. How to manipulate people is essentially what it is. <laughs> but it's a lots of things of like what type of genre your film falls into. Is it yeah. a thriller? Is it monster in the house? Is it a buddy movie? Is it this? And then it's a, there's a beat sheet, which is kind of like after 15 minutes, there'll be an inciting incident which changes your character's world and they have to go on an adventure. And there'll be a midpoint where everything changes again, and then there'll be a finale. And, and it's kind of this formula, really, of how to write a screenplay. Yeah. Um, but it can be too formulaic. And you were saying, like, this guy never wrote a successful screenplay. Yeah, yeah it's <laughs> like, amazing. We're taking all these lessons from him. I think he had one script that he, he sold. He did, he did he sell one. It. Yeah, sold yeah. It. yeah. Never got made. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I think they're right. I mean, it also, it, but it's all, you know, it's what's so hard about is that, yeah, you know, every story starts with something goes wrong, nitty-gritty, mm. resolve, but mm. it doesn't always have to be that. I feel like, you know, the end, a happy ending isn't always the best way. And also, we were talking earlier about plots and stuff like plot-heavy movies and stuff like that, that life doesn't have a massive plot. We, I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow or, you know, or what's going on in my life at all. So mm. I think it does work sometimes and sometimes it doesn't. And I also think audiences are so savvy now yeah. that they want, they know that the structure of films is from watching them. Yeah. You know, oh, this this guy's probably going to turn out to be the killer. And this this is going to happen. And then at the end, they're going to get together romantically. You know, we know those stories. And actually, we might be at the point where we want to see that flouted completely. I mean, I, I write quite often in that way that I'm like, I know this is what usually happens but something completely different is going to happen yeah, right. just to refresh the audience, you know, be a refreshing thing for the audience. But sometimes it's useful to know those rules to break them, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's worth looking at the books just to see what, what it brings to you. I remember, like, I didn't even know about three-act structure when I started sightseeing. It's like, yeah. <laughs> you're still denying it exists. Well, you know, no, it's true, beginning, though, yeah, middle, yeah. end, I yeah. suppose. Um, but, you know, it's a different language. I started writing um, a TV pilot recently, and that's five-act structures, wow. which I really I really did read some books for that because I really was like, I don't know how to write TV. I have no idea. I don't know how to write some that length because it's a different length. Yeah. Five, um, so what is it? It just goes like that for five-act structures. How does that work in terms of so with three-act structure of a film, you'd obviously... Uh, uh, this you set up the life and something kind of goes wrong and they're not who they want to be then the move, the second act goes on uh, they're having fun and then it's the lowest point the, the reversal and then resolve Is i it... think it's because there's more b plots or stuff going oh, on yeah okay, okay. because you're feeding in stuff that's going to come in later in the series that's oh, yeah. beginning a story that's going to be fulfilled later on to be honest i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i can't remember can't remember 
but it is it's just different it's just like when you when you start plotting it out you realize oh this is going to end up being 50 minutes yeah, long yeah 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 just magically so i wrote two tv pilots recently and they both were about 50 pages long oh, wow. and that was to be like an hour-long drama kind of thing and i was like oh that's because I did some plotting that was like based on some TV rules, which I actually, firstly, I did it because I had hardly any time to write the pilot. So I was a bit like, I got to fucking learn <laughs> reading the manual. <laughs> got to fly a helicopter. How do you switch it on? Uh, so it was a bit like that. Um, and um, But it was useful yeah, for that yeah. reason, just because I was like, I need to be slapped out of TV, uh, of, film, of film writing, because if I'm not careful, I'm just going to write another film script <laughs> and film script. I, I actually really like writing film because you feel like that's the end of the story that, yeah. that you can have massive things happen to them. And that's the end like properly. And I like that. Yeah, true. With your films. There's no ending. So where did, or, or beginnings. <laughs> where did the idea? So I was acting in Craig's film, eternal beauty. Where yeah. did the idea for eternal beauty come from? Um, uh, the idea, yeah, it came. From, it just <laughs> popped up. It was so weird. It just came. Um, I kind of thought, yeah, we. Uh, I've just directed a movie and I finished. I finished it two days ago, um, and it feels very weird. Uh, I feel like I'm about to have a breakdown or something. It, I, I, I probably feel. I probably feel how my parents felt when I left home at 18. That's probably how <laughs> it feels. Um, that analogy of you know the when the when somebody turns 18 and then they leave home and you can't defend them anymore. That's what it feels like when you finish a movie. It feels like. You know, people are going to say bad things, critics. It's about not yours this. anymore, is it? No. It's like, mm, exactly. Like... It's very terrifying. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've, I've been working on that for like the last four years, and I got the idea four years ago. It, it basically follows um, it follows many things, really. it's hard. I, I find it really hard to explain it. I suppose it's not about one thing. It's about many things. Um, it's about three sisters trying to get away from a, um, an overbearing mother, and it's not a dysfunctional family. Every family is dysfunctional. It's about a family. Um, and it's about this lady who is diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic um, and how she goes, uh, deal, deals with that and comes to grips with what's going on in her life. Uh, so that's basically the movie, really, really uplifting, like a Disney movie, but the sounds on it. Um, but it's a, I think it's a comedy unless nobody laughs and then it's a drama. Um, <laughs> but I, yeah, it's a kind of a, a dra I suppose, a psychological drama with humor. Um, so I got the idea. Um, I kind of knew the characters. Uh, they existed before before I, I the idea popped into my head. So when the idea came to to then f uh, follow them down the hole, I suppose that was mm. that was much easier because it feels like when you when you when you create characters, I because I, um, yeah, I suppose I don't have I don't have ideas for stories a, a lot of the time. I, I have ideas for people like. I meet somebody that I find interesting that they could maybe go into a story and stuff like that. And, you know, it, it you kind of test them out. You, you, you stay with them for a while, the characters, and you know, they're really good when they become like your family or like your best friends, they'll do something terrible in a scene and you'll forgive them and stuff like that. And that, that, <laughs> that I already knew these characters. So I felt like I could go on the, on the journey with them and I, I knew where to take them. Um, so yeah, I started writing that and then, uh, that took, it took about two, two, yeah, two years to, to get together mm. um, for various reasons. And uh, in the cast, we have we have Alice um, uh, with uh, Sally Hawkins and Billy Piper, and then Penelope Wilton plays the mum, and then David Thewlis is playing a guitar for the for most of it <laughs> throughout the whole thing. For the whole thing, a little <laughs> background, yeah, ukulele. Um, um, yeah, I think when I read the script, that was what struck me it was like every single person behaves badly in that film yeah but you like you do like them all because you understand them you know why why the you sort of understand why they're doing what they're doing you yeah. don't go oh what a bitch i hate <laughs> her like i didn't feel that ever about any character like um and that's really unusual to see this balance of uh empathy for for, for everyone um which i thought was just really clever because it's, it's too easy to make like people the baddies and like yeah you know it's one woman against the world and it's not like that is there's so much more complexity to, and nuance to it which i was like that is families that is what families are about there's so many difficulties and people being trapped in a particular behavior that they can't yeah get out of and that you know an outsider might go why don't you just stop doing that and that you go it's not that easy because everyone's exactly. in these patterns of behavior i yeah i yeah i think that um i think that i also wanted to kind of uh, i was 
Arita already was, you know, was living as uh, diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia when, when the idea came. Um, but I, I was more interested in kind of looking at that. I mean, we're kind of conditioned into believing that that's a mental illness and stuff like that. Um, and that that is, you know, not bad, but, you know, it's not normal. But my, I, I, I don't know, you know, if, if it had changed and people were to say that that's a superpower, you could hear voices in your head all day and stuff like that and and that makes sense to me also mm. so i kind of wanted to explore those themes so it's what what you what, what to expect is like logan but part two an origin story that's why i'm going to promote it just and to get the, sort, the, the sort of fantasy pervades the film doesn't it you're you're yeah. kind of seeing it from that character's perspective at times so that it's kind of an interesting kind of lens to see a, a film through like yeah and that was what, what what was interesting when we were like doing the sound design and stuff to it because you know there were there were incredible you know first person movies um taxi driver being i think the best um in terms of you know psychosis uh but you never you know you you you're watching the movie and you're watching the character but you never actually hear what he thinks i mean apart from the voiceover you know you never it and I, yeah i suppose he doesn't have the uh, uh, the uh diagnoses that my character had but when we got into the sound design and I wanted to hear all these kind of voices and stuff like that it felt at first it felt like wow this is a, this is a lot but then you know it's what she's experiencing and what people mm. have to go through all the time mm. um so yeah that's a that was interesting to explore and also I mean I would say that like the experience of watching a film is kind of madness in a way yeah, yeah. it's like it's impossible isn't it the fact that we can kind of put ourselves into someone else's head is like a form of madness in a way yeah. like you know if there were some medieval people here they'd just be like ah! like what this what is this witchcraft you know and so i just i actually think it's a, a really interesting way of expressing mental illness and i i did i it was similar to prevenge actually because you know there's a lot of sound design and taxi driver was one of the influences and yeah. it is about a kind of psycho psychosis but it's this sort of idea of like we see mad people as depicted as the baddie all the time. We don't empathize with them. They're yeah. like psychotic killers and they're creeping up on you like monsters. And what if you were inside their head? It, it doesn't, exactly. you know, they, yeah, yeah. they don't live in this world where they think they're evil <laughs> necessarily. That's, that's, so that's their true. particular psychosis. But, um, but I don't know. I mean, I, I, I've been thinking a lot recently about filmmaking and about perspectives and how important perspective is. And that was a lot of the thing of Prevenge of like, I don't think people are used to seeing the world through the eyes of a woman uh, because we don't have as many female lead characters. That's changing a little bit. Yeah. But we're certainly not used to seeing the world through the eyes of a pregnant woman. Oh, and yeah, I was yeah. like, well, I'm going to enforce that by making the people who watch my film feel that they are, <laughs> whether they're a man, whether they're pregnant or not, that they, you know, that they feel that they are in that person's shoes. And um, I think that's kind of a lot of the new vibe of cinema, especially in America with things like Get Out. Um, I can see Taxi Driver now, actually. Yeah, now that you what's mentioned. that? I can see Taxi Driver now that you mentioned it with Prevent. That's, that's cool. Yeah, it I was... think every movie should have Taxi Driver <laughs> as, as its, its inspiration, influence. to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Such brilliant film. And how, so you shot, you shot Prevent while being pre uh, pregnant. Yeah. So how long did that take to shoot? Like, you shot that very quickly, right? Um, we shot it over 11 days. There was a break. We sort of shot for eight days and then we had a break and we did some pickups. Wow. So it was 11 days in total. And it had to be because I was seven and a half months pregnant. So it, I, <laughs> any longer than that would have just, I would have been giving birth in, <laughs> in reality. Um, so it had to be really quick and it was a very quick writing process. But for me, it was like, uh, it was such an epiphany it, creatively and professionally because I'd had so much self-doubt about uh, the creative process and struggles to get stuff made. You know, I made a film called Sightseers, which is probably, God, about six years old now. Um, and I really thought things would get easier for me after that film because we premiered at Cannes and we had lots of very glowing reviews and people seemed to love it and um, it did really well. And then I won lots of awards and stuff. And, um, and I was like, brilliant, Why, now my life becomes easy. <laughs> and uh, of course that didn't happen. And I, I just was like, oh, back to the drawing board, I suppose, which is like, you always just have to keep working really. And you have, you have to do it for the love of it. You got, I don't think you can ever rest on your laurels. You just have to keep working. If, why not, if you enjoy your job? Yeah. Um, 
And it wasn't until I did Prevenge and I had no time to think about it and no time to worry about it and no chance to have a crisis about it. Um, and it went really well. <laughs> I was like, you can feel that energy oh. through the piece, though. It feels like one, you know, I had a, there, there was an intensity about yeah. it, um, which was about all of those worries that I had about my career and about just earning money, to be honest, you know, where am I going to what am I going to do with my life? Like, how how am I going to continue in the film industry, which is quite precarious? And, uh, you know, it's very single-minded that mm -hmm. this woman's journey, she's on a revenge spree, basically, and she's pregnant. Um, but actually, uh, it was kind of about a determination as well of, um, you know, sort of trying to survive within the film industry, I suppose, that comes through. And... Um, and it changed a lot of things for me. So that, you know, suddenly I I was like a director and, you know. In charge. It, yeah. It was great. Which is, like a, which is like a lie, I feel, that directing. It's like you just have to show up and be like, you know, yeah, I can do it. Because you, know, you have all these skilled people that you employ to, to do it. And then you just have to make sure that you sound like you know what you're talking Pretend about. Pretend that you should be telling them what to yeah. do, even though you know less. What I find, this is my big, and we should go to um, Q&As soon, but... I was just going to say, do you find it really funny when you have a meeting as an actor and the way they treat you as compared to when you have a meeting as director? This is what I always find. I can have a meeting as an actor and they treat me really like I'm a piece of poo on their show, basically. Like, who are you? Yeah, well, you don't look right. Yeah, you'd be lucky to be in this. Like, you know, it's like that. And then you go and have a meeting as a director and people are like, what, what would you like? Yes, yes, yes. Can I do Can I help you? Oh, yes. I, I think you're wonderful. Uh, like that. And you're like, I'm the same person. It's yeah. so weird that you have this different status as a... Of course, if you're George Clooney, then you're not. Yeah, you're not. I can't get, get a meeting as a director. So, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> on that note, should we go to the audience? Now you can ask Craig why. Yeah. Why that should be. Yeah. It's your terrible reputation. Yeah, just a terrible person to be around. Are there any questions? Are there any questions? Is oh okay. I don't. Watchers, if they want to tweet in at BAFTA Cymru, I'll keep an eye on my phone for Twitter. So if anybody from across Wales who's listening or watching, if you want to ask a question, Craig and Alice, please tweet that over, and we'll make sure we I feel, ask that. I feel Passes like it's going to. I feel like it's going to turn into the Alan Partridge thing, <laughs> <laughs> where the wrong questions are going to come in. <laughs> okay. Hi, I just wanted to ask about directing yourselves when you're an actor and like you said, you've got all these skilled people kind of around and ready to go and it's action. Is it kind of weird? Do you need someone to give you a second opinion if you've done it right, if you've done the take right or do you have a, just a sense of when it's gone well? Well, Alice does it very well. Um, <laughs> I, I, I spent most of the process wishing I recasted <laughs> and then got, got somebody else to be honest when, when I did it and I probably won't do it again um it, it it's it is tough it's a very tough thing to do I, I I had a producer that was behind the camera or behind the monitor sorry um that I'd go to and say is it okay and he said it was so he's to blame <laughs> I think yeah having a good producer having a good DOP is got you know if you, if you really trust the DOP then they can give you the thumbs up as yeah. well I mean usually for me it's technical I just want to know like was my nose in shot you know <laughs> like whatever and because I think acting, I don't ever want to look, I don't ever watch playback. And even as a director, I don't watch playback because I think you need to be inside it and not second guessing from the outside. If you're second guessing how you're coming across, that's not good. It makes you self-conscious, I think. So I just kind of trust that if what's going on internally is right, then, it's, then it, the performance is right. And I just have to go with that. And then I sit in the edit and go, what am I doing? <laughs> what have you got another take of this? You haven't. This is it. This is what I was doing. <laughs> like, yeah. um, it's a strange process because you forget that you have to watch yourself, your performance for 17 weeks in the edit. So it's, hmm. it is the worst feeling in the world. Yeah. You, you know, you've swapped careers and then you realize the career that was going good isn't actually any good once you, re once you put it <laughs> under examination. It's, uh, yeah, it's bizarre, but yeah, very cool. Yeah. Cool, basically. I'll pass it down. Yes. I think it's harder directing other actors. That's what I find much more worrying because I sort of know what I want myself to do. 
but when I'm talking to other actors I sort of feel like I don't want to feel like I'm telling you how to act because I think you're brilliant you just do what you you just do you that's what I want to say as, an, as a director and actually I, do, I kind of just don't really talk to them <laughs> I just sort of go yeah just do your brilliant acting thing that you do do that um I, I think if you are a filmmaker and you have friends that are actors then definitely definitely film them and, and you know get comfortable with talking to them because one thing that film school probably doesn't teach it'll teach you know the, the technical aspects of it and, and stuff like that but talking to actors is a completely different thing and we you know, I'm very lucky to have acted so no you know I know what it's like we know what it's like so yeah if, if you're a filmmaker and you have friends just yeah film them and get comfortable to uh, you know telling them to act better <laughs> I'm from into film and helping to film and um just wanted to follow up when you're talking about how do you direct actors how do you think specifically your acting career has influenced the way you direct um with probably learning what not to do really um probably i don't know what about you what do you feel i feel like you don't ever want to get an actor into a tailspin of a bad mindset because that's very hard to get them out it's Unless like you don't want to frighten them yeah. <laughs> yeah, unless you want some terrified, horrified performance, which is not my style, really. I kind of like to trust actors that they can act and that <laughs> they can pretend to be frightened quite convincingly rather than me actually just terrifying them. Um, but yeah, I know that for me, if I start to feel anxious and worried as an actor, it's very hard to get out of that funk. And that's not how you should be feeling. You should be feeling in this kind of really safe like nothing is wrong. There's no wrong choice you can make as an actor. That's what I tried to say as a director. It's just like, that was good. That You're so good. Let's do it a different way. I would never go, no, 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 no. Can you do it better? Can you do it better? Oh, fuck, she can't do it better. Why did we cast you? You know, as soon as that, as soon as the actor starts to think that, it's like, they're going to get scared and they're going to, you, you know, and maybe that's what you want. It's like some directors do do that, that they want their actors to have this kind of, oh my God, like Jennifer Lawrence in Mother or something yeah, like yeah. that, you know, and, but I don't do that. I kind of want, I want them to feel like they're playing and we're playing and I don't, you know, it might be that you do it. I, and I want them to really feel like that to go with their instincts, that they're so in the zone that they go for their instinct rather than the, what pleases me or pleases the camera person or what pleases this person or pleases their mum at home or whatever. I want them to be like a tune and that's quite a delicate, you want there to be like this delicate, relaxed sort of atmosphere where everyone's kind of in the zone. So I think anything that shatters that is bad. But I will also try to get them to give me like devotion, like a cult leader. <laughs> I think, you know, you have to make them feel like this is such a special project and we're all here together and we're going to make magic, you know. That's... Like it's their last project. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it may be if you get it wrong. So. I was going to ask about the how difficult it can be and any tips really for the young people here yeah um feels like it does feel like begging a lot of the time <laughs> um but i suppose it is in a, in a way um uh and there's always a fear that you're just wasting people's money but with mine we went through um because of the scheme uh i had i worked with bfi and the film agency wales and stuff like that so i basically submitted my scripts um to to them and that, that that was part of it what i found helped is that i had i mean i had uh sally attached first before that so that that went in um because i tended to her very early on um yeah it's very it's very difficult i mean i think especially when you're making shorts and stuff like that that you just it feels like you have to be borrowing from everybody like family members and friends and stuff like that um how do you find it um, I think if you're talking about like starting out, um, I think you have to just kind of live, breathe film, basically. It's like you have to kind of go to all the events, go to the courses, go to the festivals, go to the networking events, join shooting people, blah, blah. And and you start to realize it's a quite a small world, the film world. And it's a bit like if you show up enough, people will realize that you're not going to go away and they start to know your face. Do you know what I mean? And take you seriously. And I, I remember like premiering our film in Cannes and getting drunk with a film for commissioner 
And I was like, this is it. <laughs> I've got drunk with a commissioner. So this is it. I'm in. I've got the key. I'm in. I'm in. I've got the keys to the kingdom. Do you know what I mean? And it is that point where you, where you go, uh, you, you stop thinking of it as being us and them. Right. Those are the people, those are the mean people that are going to not give me money for my film. But actually it is about just showing up until they really realize like you are serious and you are going to make these films. And there's loads of schemes like eye features and, uh, you know, there's funding bodies like Creative England and, uh, you know, there'll be other, you know, f film whales and other. Yeah, there's a cinematic one here for features. I think they got Beacons, which is also for the short films. Um, there, there are other schemes. They're all those schemes, even if you don't get your film made through those schemes, the people that you will meet are going to be people who are part of the film industry and they are going to crop up in the rest of your career for the rest of your, you know, for the next 20 years. Seriously, it's like um, you start to realise everybody knows each other. Um, but funding's never easy and it always just goes up a scale. It's like, you know, I could talk to Edgar Wright and he could be going, oh, I'm struggling to get 20 million for my next project or whatever. Do you know what I mean? It's just on a different scale. It's the same struggle, but on a different scale. Yeah, weirdly, so, it's, I, it, funding is probably the hardest part of the process, but nowadays it's it's easier to make films. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm assuming everybody has an iPhone here. So, you, I mean, Soderbergh shot High Flying Bird on it and, you know, Tangerine was shot on it and Unsane was shot on the iPhone. It looks incredible. You get those little lenses from little hip, uh, what's that shop? The American uh, Urban Outfitters. Yeah, they, they sell those little um, little lenses, just get... Pop, pop. I thought you were going to say some really obscure, like, camera equipment, like, <laughs> shop, and you're like, Urban Outfitters. <laughs> I've seen them there. I've seen them when I, when I pass. Uh, they, they have them there. You've got the wide-angle lens. Check that on it. It'll look good. So, yeah. I think... Yeah, I think that's the thing. Make, get out there and make your own film. But I would say also these days, like, it's not enough to just make short films. Short films are great for your own experience, like, what you need to learn. No, neither of us went to film school as well. We were talking about that, and... I really taught myself through a being on set as an actor and b making lots of short films, which actually I didn't really do much with. You know, we couldn't get them into film film festivals. No one wanted them because they were comedy or a bit weird. Or, um, but for me, they were like a film school. So I learned what I needed to learn with those short films, and then actually um, to make your own feature film mm -hmm. as a calling card with your own money. A low budget thing no one can take that away from you that's just an impressive achievement in its own so yeah. i think if you can make your own feature film off your own bat that's a massive display of commitment and you know uh that you're you're, you're going to do it basically logic that pro notice logic pro is the app that's the app that they shot unsane or whatever on um for the for the iphone very good worth getting Hi, um, I have a question about locations and the process you go through for, for choosing them. I mean, the film, obviously, the visual scenescape is really important. And especially when you're on a budget, you know, any tips for sourcing a, a good location? Because you have, the, you have the writing on the page, you have, you know, your actors cast and your plot. But I just, I just I'm fascinated by locations and just any tips, really. Um, I'm, I normally, yeah, the locations are normally part of the, the initial idea. So they'll be in, you know, I'll know where I'm going to probably shoot it or, or with my, with just Jim, uh, we didn't have a huge amount of money. So I shot it in my old, in my secondary school, they let us shoot there for, for free. Um, and also I shot it in my hometown and the producer stayed with my nan and killed, killed some of her goldfish. Um, <laughs> Oh no! Yeah, she's she's finding out right now. Oh, we we replaced them. Oh. Yeah. Um. Uh, we replaced them. It's okay. Um. Not to the ones that are dead, obviously. <laughs> um. But uh. Yeah. So we shot in my hometown, pretty much. Yeah. And so it was all all pretty much free. Uh. And and I knew that knew the locations very well. I I grew up there. Um. And and with the second one, we had a teeny bit more money, so we were able to go scouting. And and that that's uh. That felt quite nice. Yeah, to... I would say that it, it's it's that way around. Is like as a writer, I will use a place before, to write to that place. It's either because it's inspired me or because I'm like I know I could get it free. <laughs> so yeah. I'm like, oh, I'll set something there. And also, I do a lot of lateral thinking. So I, even with a budget, I go, we can't get a fencing studio. 
So we'll use this massive weird marble hall that we found in our current location that we're shooting something else. We'll just use that, you know. So it's having a flexibility at, with the writer actually and the director to kind of go could this be set in a bowling alley though like mm -hmm. and just actually sometimes it adds a lot to the scene I was you know I'm looking at locations now and you know they've sent me Chinatown in Manchester <laughs> it's supposed to be New York and I it started me thinking I like the idea of sh shooting a scene in Chinatown that's to me much more visually interesting than just a street in New York you know and um just things like that, which can actually help your visual process. And obviously, if you're on a multi-million thing, you're going to have a built set and exactly the locations you want. But when you're on a low budget, to have that flexibility and to be as light on your feet about being able to change, I think. I mean, obviously, there is things like a school where you need a school. But, you know, it might be, that can you borrow some school desks, get them into a community centre, make it look like a school. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. that kind of lateral thinking, I think. Also start, starting out, I think, like in terms of you know, making your first feature or your first short or anything, like look, the only thing that's really, really important is a performance. As long as you have somebody that can perform and give a really good performance and a good actor, it can look terrible and it can be <laughs> just in one room. But it'll with still one be good. desk that you've yeah. cheated the idea that there's more desks but you film it that close yeah. so you don't need a school um, <laughs> on, your, on your ribbon outfitters lens um, <laughs> uh, yeah but sometimes it doesn't work actually because then i would just jim actually we had a we had a scene where uh it was in a golf club and uh a golf club was too expensive so we ended up just playing golf in a field and it just looks like we're playing golf in a field <laughs> <laughs> It's very strange. But you see, I probably looked at that and went, I like how they're just playing golf in a field. Yeah, meaning. That's weird. <laughs> I like it. Well, that's, that's, that's what I meant, obviously. <laughs> got time for one, maybe two more questions. Hi, you mentioned screenwriting books. What, what would you recommend? Alexander McKendrick's uh, On Screenwriting, forwarded by Scorsese. Okay, thank you. Incredible, really good. That I would also recommend that uh, Sid Field screenplay, um, Into the Woods, uh, John York is a really good one. In fact, that one talks about all the other ones and gives you the, all the graphs and all the beat sheets of all the other ones. So you just buy that one and it tells you about all the others. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Hi. Um, when you're writing, how do you kind of push through the hardest part where you sort of got your idea but you don't really know how to develop it into like a full sort of plot and make the characters more full how do you sort of push through that uh, yeah that that's like yeah i i always i always call it the um hey john how you doing yeah good john how are you doing part because whenever i get to act two nobody knows what to do and they just go and hey john how are you He's like yeah good you and that it's no, nothing's happening um i don't know david lynch says and this is always pretty good. <laughs> David Lynch says, if you have 70 ideas, you can make a feature film. I think that's probably true. It doesn't have to make sense altogether, but if you have 70 ideas, you can bring them all together. That's probably why his movie's made no sense. But you put them all, to get, uh, all together, that'll work. In terms of, um, but in terms of pushing through it, just get the draft done. No matter where, it, where it's at or what the characters are saying or what they're doing, just, I think, get it done. And then probably put it away for a couple of weeks and, and, and start writing something else and put your mind on something else and then go back and you'll be probably able to see it a lot clearly. Um, I had this sort of block recently with a TV, this TV pilot that I was writing and I realised that my character was saying yes all the time to everything and it was sort of really boring. There was no drama. It was sort of like, oh, and then she does this and then she says yes to this and then she does it and then she says yes to this and then she does it. So what, my advice, and it might not be right for the particular project, but just try having your character say no and see what tension that brings up because scenes are built out of tension and they're built of one person saying yes and the other person saying no. And just make sure that if your scenes always have that of like the character, each scene, like John, John York would say, films are transformation machines, that a character starts off as one thing and then they end up as something else. You could argue that's not always true, but it's an interesting way of thinking about it. And scenes can also be transformation machines. So someone goes in thinking one thing and they come out of the other end thinking something else. And it's just quite interesting to make sure that there's something always happening in your scene, that there is something always changing. Not just, hey, John, how are you? How are you doing, John? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, hi, John, how are you? I'm not called John anymore. 
John's gone. <laughs> it's quite a good way to start a film. That'd be a great way to start a film. <laughs> I, I think also as well, I, I was told once, I think it, I've always kind of kept it in my mind, is that always lead with emotion, not themes. Because themes can kind of confuse things. Very easy to get caught up in themes and what it should mean. But what it should mean is probably nothing you'll ever think about. It'll mean something completely different to somebody else. And if the emotion's there, then it, it, sh it should work. Uh, hello. Uh, I just wanted to ask about the editing process and perhaps your involvement in it, because you seem to be very much involved with the writing, the acting, and the directing. I just want to see, do you struggle to hand it over to someone else to edit the film, or do you very much have a part in the editing process? I don't hand it over. No way. Um, yeah, yeah, you do at the beginning, and then it, it, I always feel like it's a battle to get it back to where you want it, really. It's a very kind of, you know, yeah, that's why you have them in there, really, is to, to have their voice and your voice, and then hopefully it'll come together and be be something that's you but you both agree on, which is normally a healthy process. Um, I find it really, yeah. I think that's it's the hardest part for me. I feel the edit, um, just because you're it's left starting with your mistakes. from scratch, isn't it? Really, you've yeah. got this material which is sort of fixed, and you've got to tell a story with it. And it's like painting a whole new picture. It, the film might not be the one that you thought it it was <laughs> in some ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, you don't waver with your your um, sort of your view of the film or do you are you open to collaboration no i'm open to collaboration i think the worst thing is to is to think that you can't learn anything yeah i, I think you can always learn something the thing is you can always try stuff and then put it back yeah. that's the joy of editing and um i also I, I also think audience reaction is so important like i do i'm a big fan of like test screenings actually because we did that with prevenge and Not we Mark did a ones, little though. did you do the mark ones did, yeah they have to say whether they like it or... yeah no thank you <laughs> We, we did, but we learned so much <laughs> oh, from it. Oh, did you? Yeah, it was brilliant, and it, it transformed the film. Right. But the, I mean, the thing was, everyone said they liked it, That's but good. they just all said that what they didn't like about it was all the same thing. Uh, like, everyone said, we don't like this character, and, like, we got rid of that character, actually. It's quite <sighs> interesting. It's horrible to, have to make that phone call to that actor. Yeah. You're not in it anymore. Um, she's an amazing actress as well. But um, it just, it was my fault. It was the script. It was a script thing that was never going to work. Um, but, you know, it's the advantage of someone else's perspective, which you have to have some respect for. If you trust your editor, then you'll respect their perspective. But there'll be a point where you both can't see the wood for the trees. And then it might be that you give it to your partner or to your sister or to your, and, and watch that scene and they them go, yeah, I didn't get that. Why is that? And you're like, eh, okay. The, you know, it, it does. And if it, it essentially at that, by, by the time you get to the end of it, I feel like the only goal is to think and remember the original idea. Like, because at that point in the edit, everything has been put on top of it and you'll you know you'll i mean you know you'll change it so many different ways you'll put it black and white and put it four or three just to make it more interesting or put some voice over in it or you know and do that kind of or chapters and stuff like that but it's just remembering the emotion and the original idea that you had and what it was meant to be um and believing in that thank you so much indeed um i think i've learned a lot from you guys and much admiration for both of these and i've also learned about david lynch today which was an added bonus i wasn't <laughs> expecting that so are you david lynch <laughs> it's david lynch can we put our hands together and say a massive thank you please for Alison and thank you